What's up, everybody? This is Stick to Football, Bleacher Report's NFL Draft Podcast. I'm Matt Miller, lead draft writer at BR. And happy anniversary, Connor Rogers, sitting in New York, man. It's This is it. I, I looked at my thank you Facebook, and it said a year ago, today, we actually announced that we were launching this podcast. So it's been been a fun year. I can't believe it's only been a year. It really has. It feels like we've done 8 million shows. It's been so much fun seeing the audience grow and get behind the show has been honestly incredible and that was a long year but a quick year i know that sounds really weird uh hopefully we can get our our first guest ever back on the show sometime mitch trubisky to see what kind of year it's been for him because he was an awesome first guest but man we i'm looking at this rundown today and you have so many draft nuggets to unload in this show yeah, it's I told you I actually worked yesterday, which is a good feeling. But I've been like buried with writing scattering reports for the the draft 400 series. That's it seems like we're putting out like three positions a week on that. I'm working on a couple features that'll be coming out soon for BR. We're doing three podcasts a week. So like that's a lot of time and not as much time to like hop on the phone for a couple hours and talk to scouts. So did a lot of that. So we're going to have a lot of like insider buzz type stuff to talk about. We are going to be joined by Isaiah Oliver, former Colorado corner. I think he's a first-round prospect in this draft. Be interesting to see uh, kind of where he ends up, and, and I'm interested to hear what you feel. And then, like we do every week, we'll close it out with your draft-on-draft draft questions. But let's jump right into these rumors that we're hearing. And I, I kind of teased this on Twitter um, Tuesday morning, was that I'm just going to throw things out there. And I, I, I tried to do a, as best a job as I can of vetting the information that I get and understanding that people who talk to me 90% of the time have an agenda – 10% of the time, it's just somebody you've become really good friends with and they'll just be straight with you, it, which oftentimes means also them saying, hey, I can't tell you anything. So, But it, let's just go down the list here. I, I really should have prioritized these better. So I'll, I'll try to I maybe jump around a little bit in the notes. But big thing that's going to become a talking point if it hasn't already, because I, like I said, I've been off Twitter a little bit. Lamar Jackson, 13 on the Wonderlick. Teams are concerned, but... Yikes. But... Lamar Jackson is going in the first round. Like, yes. Every like the every mock draft I do from this day forward of what I'm hearing will have him in the first round. He he will hear his name called Thursday night. I I will just pull up short of guaranteeing it, but he's going to hear his name called. Yeah, there's going to be five quarterbacks that are locks to go in the first round. It's as simple as that. I would still put money that Darnold, Baker, Allen and Rosen go in the top five when all is said and done. And Lamar Jackson, like you just said, is going in the first round. I would argue he goes in the top 20, which would be quite the rise. I mean, maybe that's where he's always been, but it shows you the quarterback curve. And if somebody thinks about coming back into round one for Mason Rudolph, it wouldn't shock me in the slightest bit. No, it wouldn't. And on that note, I did hear yesterday, and I didn't put this in our rundown, but you reminded me of it. Like, you know, I, I'll call one guy and talk to him and, and get a little bit of information. And then that will trigger something in your head. And you'll be like, well, let me t- try to talk to this guy and see what he thinks. And so you try to, and I've said before, like when I do mock drafts, it takes a long time because it ends up being, you know, like a 10 phone call kind of day. And one thing that I'm starting to piece together is what you just said. I think we see four quarterbacks go in the top four, whether it's because of trades. You know, it's it's easy to look at the New York Giants and say that they would be the trade partner with Buffalo because of the connection between Dave Gettleman and Brandon Bean. So there's like that kind of like you said when it was Jets Colts, there's that open line of communication. So it's easier to get a deal done with those types of, of teams where you have that connection and can just call a dude and say, hey man, 
let's see what Cleveland does, but we want the number two pick when you're on the clock. And they might already have something worked out. And then you look at, you guys are going to take one at three, the Jets are, and the Browns, the Browns are going to be, as we've said all along, at four, they could also trade back if they are so inclined and let someone come up to get a quarterback at four. That's the thing. They they control so much of this draft, them and the Giants, because I I don't know what it is. I always like try to reset myself and go, don't change your mind in April. If you liked a player since June, don't change your mind in April. If you thought a player was going here in last summer throughout the season, don't change your mind in April. And I still feel that the Browns are taking Sam Darnold and the Giants will either trade the pick or take Saquon Barkley. But I have been really really fighting the urge lately to convince myself that the the Giants have to take a quarterback second overall. You're not going to be back up there. Eli Manning is not only declining significantly, but he's getting older. And if Sam Darnold's there too, like you said, Matt, there's just no way they pass on him. But do they consider someone else at two? It's just, it's crazy how they dictate this draft. And, you know, not to, uh, not to blow my load here, but I, I know we do scouts quote usually after you're around the league. But this ties into this conversation. The scouts, the thing that I keep hearing the more people I talk to is the Allen effect of this draft is is so insane. Where Josh Allen goes dictates everything. It really does. If he goes, if he goes first overall, the Giants might end up taking a quarterback, and then the Jets are sitting there with either Baker Mayfield or Josh Josh Rosen, a big decision. If Darnold doesn't, if Allen doesn't go first overall, the Bills might trade away their first six picks to go get Josh Allen at number two. The Allen effect of this draft dictates how everything else falls. And it's insane that for so long, people are like, this guy can't go in the first round. It almost seems like he's a lock to go in the top two. Man, a lock. I don't want to toot my own horn, but I, I think we it. do a good job of being honest on this show of hits and misses and, and things like that. When I came out January of 2017 and said, if Josh Allen declares, he's going to be a top five pick. I got shit on straight, just dumped on off the top rope. And here we are a year later. Called racist. Yeah. With no film improvement. And here, like you said, he seems like a lock to go top two or top three. And, and rolling right into that, I I've heard the same thing that there is a bidding war possible at number two for Josh Allen. If the giants don't go quarterback, maybe that means that when the, when it's on the clock, maybe the jets, you know, get a little nervous and try to make that trade up. Even though I know we've both said the Giants can't help the Jets. It it, it yep. just, it looks bad. But I, I've also heard, and this could be, I'll fully admit, this could be someone telling me something in hopes that it's going to get out. But I trust this person a lot, so I'm going to say it right now. The Giants do like Josh Allen and that they would consider that. So I, I don't think we can rule him out. Um, I, I know I, I said Lamar Jackson's wonder like was a 13 uh, I heard Josh Allen got a 35, which is is pretty good. I'm not sure of the other guys yet, um, but you know if I hear it, I'll let you guys know, and I'm probably going to get in trouble with the NFL for telling you those things. So I apologize in advance. Man, it's uh, there's just so, and like you just said, the bidding war will be insane. I, listen, people, when the Jets made the trade to three, and this is not me being a homer, when the Jets made the trade from three, people were like, oh my god, they gave up three twos. Guess what? Whoever goes up to two is giving up look cheap is, is going to make the Jets deal look like a bargain, a yeah. bargain. The bills are going to give up. Uh, if the bills come up, it's going to start. The talk will start at both ones and both twos and cost more than that. So here's and something that, yeah, it's something interesting. Um, one more quarterback note. 
The only guy that I haven't heard linked to Cleveland, because I, I have heard Darnold, I've heard Allen, as has everyone, their visit with Baker went incredibly well. I've never heard them linked to Josh Rosen. So I wonder right? how much of the I don't want to play there was true. I think it's that. And listen, I think I'm actually a good person to talk about this because I have had Josh Rosen as my top quarterback since last July. I have defended him time and time again. I will be the first to admit at some point when you, you just talk to too many people about it, the personality concerns in a locker room are true. They are a thousand percent true. Now, this is a 20 year old, 21 year old kid. I know I am not the same person that I was at 21 that I am now at 26. Like we can all be a douchebag, right? We right. all have our moments of being a complete asshole, being immature, maybe not understanding, you know, everyone's different. Now, there's a chance for him to mature, and I think he's shown a lot of signs of that through this process. But NFL teams, whether you want to believe it or not, have fair cause for concern about his fit in a locker room and would almost rather take the lesser talented Sam Darnold's, the not as ready Josh Allen, and however you feel about Baker Mayfield, I mean, me, me and you have gone to bat for him time and time again. Oh, yeah. Instead, because of their, they're scared of missing on Rosen. Man, you are absolutely right on that. And it, it is the, the quarterbacks. I feel like we have spent almost a year talking about this quarterback class, but it is so fascinating that we have to, we have to keep talking about these guys because there, there is so much to unpack with it. Uh, let's talk a couple other positions, tight ends. Um, we famously did the, the skill player bracket on the Friday show a couple weeks back, maybe a month ago now. And, Mello and Dan voted, and Mike Gasecki was the uh, the official favorite uh, skill player, and, uh, other than Saquon Barkley. And I'll tell you, the Gasecki love is real, as is the the feeling about this tight end class in general. And we could see Dallas Goddard go in the first round. Uh, I've heard that there are three tight ends in the top forty is very possible as of now, and that you know whether it's going to be a team like the Eagles at the end of round one, the Saints at the end of round one. The Patriots have been in on all these tight ends. Hayden Hurst, even though he's 25, is someone that teams really do like is maybe the most versatile tight end in this class because he he just plays so mean and he can do a lot of different things. But those three tight ends are, are likely to hear their names called pretty early, and I wouldn't be shocked if two of them end up in the first round. Yeah, it certainly seems that way, especially when you start to look at the teams down the board that don't have like many dire needs and the value at tight end is there. So I, I'm with you. I mean, that sounds legit. I think Gusecki's red zone presence is very enticing to teams. I think uh, teams really like what Dallas Goddard could be as a pass catcher at the next level. And uh, some teams see Hayden Hurst as the best overall pass catcher, a move tight end that's a bit of a weapon. So it totally adds up. And I think there's some good value plays in this tight end class after those guys, maybe early day three, when you look at the type of blocker Ryan Izzo is from Florida State. Yeah. Chris Herndon was from Miami was underutilized. So there, this is a very, very solid tight end class. One thing I wanted to ask you, it's something you and I haven't talked about in a while, and I've just kind of been seeing it go around. It seems like the the Mike McGlinchey draft process has come full circle, where <laughs> over yeah. summer we were like, oh, this guy looks like a first-round tackle, and, then, and thought he should have declared last year. Then during the season we're like, mm, he might be a second-round tackle. And now <laughs> we're hearing top 15 buzz again. <laughs> I mean, goes, where right? is where is this guy's stock right now, Matt? It's first round. It really is. And, and I, I tweeted out some thoughts on Monday morning 
and one of those thoughts was that there, there are three tackles that are going to the first round. Mike McGlinchey is one of them. I wouldn't be surprised if he's the first tackle off the board. Now, that might be in the 20s. This might be like last year where Garrett Bowles was the first tackle drafted at 20. But just because it's probably going to be five quarterbacks picked before we have our first offensive tackle off the board, and there's going to be a couple running backs. It's a really good linebacker class. It's a good corner class. So that could push down these tackles because I, I think with McGlinchey, most people do feel he's a right tackle. Connor Williams, a lot of people think, will end up at guard. Colton Miller is incredibly raw, even though he's a very good athlete and, and really has a lot of people excited. I think those are more guys who are they're more 15 to 32 than they are 1 to 15. But I I would not be surprised if McGlinchey's the first one off the board to someone like Seattle. Yeah, that uh that fit makes a ton of sense. Right, it just look feels at, such a need too. Right. It feels a huge need. I mean, the Seattle team is going through a little bit of a makeover <laughs> right now. Yeah. And uh, to, you know, to put it kindly, and I know the guy that's going to be on our show today, Isaiah Oliver is a guy that we've consistently said is a really really nice fit for them. That might be his draft uh his ceiling. Yeah. Where where he would go. So, you know, I'm looking at our rundown here. Uh, one guy also you want to talk about, obviously, Cortland Sutton. I've heard that if the Bills can't move, they would consider him with the 22nd overall pick, which probably makes sense for a team that we talked about on the Mock Draft Monday show could probably use a little help at wide receiver right now. Yeah, I think they could use a lot of help at receiver. He makes sense for them. Um, I've also heard that he, you know, as a, a player that the Philadelphia Eagles will look at at the end of round one. I've said about them repeatedly that they're so hard to predict for in a mock draft because they just don't have many needs. So in a conversation with someone yesterday, they were like, you know, because I mentioned that they're like, well, Philly is so aggressive offensively. If there's not a guard that you like, look to skill players because they they will just keep loading up and and they could also use a, a wide receiver. I mean, I like Mac Hollins, but he was a mid round pick. I know he has good chemistry with Carson Wentz because they've worked out together. They are rep by the same agency. It's a great special teams player. Too. Right. But they could use someone like Cortland Sutton. So he's an interesting name. Uh, one more, like a sleeper. P- people are always like, who are you guys sleepers? Who are your sleepers? Austin Corbett. There is some top 40 talk with this guy. Uh, oh, yes. He is just plug and play at offensive guard. Tough, athletic, um, versatile. He, he was a three-year starter at left tackle. Played center at the Senior Bowl. But he is a day one starter type that is going to hear his name called very, very early. Uh, I think my comparison for him is Joel Batonio. So really good player who also like went you know early second round, but can come right in and make a very, very big impact. I mean, like, let me be a homer for a second. I wish the Niners had an early round two picks. So they could get a guy like this because they trading up to get Joshua Garnett was a, a massive reach. And he's the kind of guy I think would just step right in and be able to play. Yeah, I've heard really good things about Corbett. I think um, I think teams were kind of hoping he could be, you know, that early to late uh, third round steal. Yeah. And at the end of the day, nope. when you're just that, <laughs> when you're just that good, and like you said, an athletic player, when it comes down to it, you're gonna find your way off the board early in the second round. So, um, I saw you had one more note from uh, Scouts Quote stuff here on Luke Falk. Huh? Where's Luke Falk at right now? Yeah, Luke Falk, it sounds like round two because there's going to be it's that right for quarterback. Wow. So if we if, so if we see five, maybe six in round one, it's going to push everyone else up. Right. So if the Patriots don't take Mason Rudolph in the first round, they might try to take him in the second with pick 43. The same for, you know, the Saints are unlikely to draft a quarterback in the first, but they could in the second. The Chargers are unlikely to draft a quarterback in the first. They could in the second. So it pushes Luke Falk up, which in turn pushes Kyle Loletta up 
or pulls him up, I guess you would say, because we are going to see so many guys go off the board early. And I know, like, I've heard both sides of it with the Mason Rudolph talk of round one. I had someone say, this is Davis Webb. It's Tom Savage all over again. He is who he is. And then you talk to other people and they say, you know, I mean, he does everything well, right? I mean, he's a big, tall kid, moved better in the pocket this year. He's accurate. And yeah, he's not great. But for this team, like for the Patriots scheme, he makes a ton of sense, right? And it's like, God, yeah, he really does. So I, I still think that Rudolph ends up being, I would say, a top 45 pick. And I would say that Luke Falk is is a round two guy. And you don't want to call anything a lock because it's the NFL draft and crazy things happen. But those that that's very credible information that I'm getting right now. That is quite the rise for Luke Falk. But you were saying, even back in Mobile, you're like, listen, this guy is going in the third round at the yeah. at the late. He's not so making smart. it making it to day three. He interviews well. He does all of that. Okay, one more thing I did want to do is in my crazy, uh, wild player comparison research, I think you would enjoy this one. Saquon Barkley, a tough guy to make a comparison for, but stylistically over the fall, I think we heard some, you know, some wild LT comparisons. Yep. And I don't think it's that crazy. Listen to this. Saquon Barkley ran a 4-4 40-yard dash at the Combine. Tomlinson ran a 4-4-3. Barkley posted a 41-inch vertical. Tomlinson posted a 40-and-a-half-inch vertical. In the 20-yard shuttle, Barkley had a 4-2-4. Tomlinson had a 4-2-1. In testing, they are almost identical. Identical. Which, to me... It's just crazy. I know people are skeptical of making player comparisons to Hall of Fame caliber running backs. Right. But when you look at Barkley, I, I know we come full circle on great players. But, I mean, the bottom line is it, he's he checks every single box. It's crazy, and too, because LT wild. was 221. And he was, what, what was Saquon, 233 at the Combine? Yeah, I think he'll play at like 220. I think Saquon will play around like 226. But, yeah, it's... It's it's just interesting to know. And you're right. It's even more impressive when you look, yeah. look at what kind of athlete Barkley is. So, listen, I don't uh, I can't see him sliding to a team like the Bucks or anything like that, even though we you know people have been talking about that lately, but it's going to be fascinating when all said and done. All right, guys, we have a great guest for you this week. One of the best corners in this class, Isaiah Oliver coming out of the University of Colorado and a guy that I remember uh, summer of 2017 starting to get into this draft process and a, an area scout text me. He's like, you got to check out this Colorado corner. It's like, man, they, they just got drafted. I, I watched both of them. What are you talking about? And he's like, no, 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 there's another one. And sure enough, you, you had a great, great year in 2017. Put yourself in the, the conversation as a first rounder. So thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so one thing that I do want to ask you about, because you know, we have a lot of Cowboys fans, a lot of Niner fans, you played with two very good corners in Shadobia Wouzier and Akilla Witherspoon. What was the competition like, the three of you being in a room together all the time, on the practice field together, and then translating to Saturdays when you're you're in the back end of that secondary? Oh, I mean, it was great. Uh, I mean, just like you said, the competition of it. I mean, whether it was at practice or, or wherever we were, I mean, we were always competing with each other. And I feel like it helped us a lot. Um, all three of us, me especially, I mean, just being able to learn from those guys um, and seeing what they were able to do, I mean, day in and day out at practice during the games. And then obviously this past season NFL um, was big for me just to kind of learn as much as I could from them. And I know they learned um, things from me as well, um, just from all of us being all, out on the field, on the practice field together and just doing what we love to do. So, I mean, it was a great experience and great opportunity to have, have those two guys on my team. 
Yeah. So one thing that our like younger listeners might not realize is that you come from a long line of athletes. Like your dad played in the NFL for what, five years, right? Your uncle played yes, yep. play ball. I'm I'm a Missouri guy. Your your uncle played ball there. So yeah. Uh, how much does that help you? Just having the perspective of going through this whole process when you have people in your life that have already gone through it. Oh, it helps so much. I mean, just my dad and my uncle. I mean, those are like the two guys that that helped me the most throughout this process, I would say. I mean, whether it was um, dealing with agents, meeting with them um, to find me the best agent or just people that I could go talk to about the NFL. Um, obviously, uh, they've, they've been through it. They know what it's like. And that's something that's rare, I feel like, for a lot of athletes um, coming out of college and going to the NFL is they have no one in their family that's really been there and done that. So um, they're kind of just taking the head on by themselves where in my, in my position, I mean, I have people around me that have already been there and, and can help me to not make the same mistakes that they did or, you know, just know certain things that other players might not know. So I'm kind of just taking full advantage of that and learning as much as I can from them just so that I can make my transition as smooth as possible. Yeah. So you and your pops were both uh, the the, decathlon who has better time. Like if you, if y'all went head to head in in his Uh prime and and in your prime. Yeah. Overall, he has a better score, Um, but he recorded that score. I think, I mean, he was a little bit older than I was when I did my last decathlon. Um, but in terms of certain events, I have some better events than he has some better events, basically. So I'd say we're pretty even right now in the decathlon um, in terms of in terms of the events. How hard was that decision for you to go from like you, you know being a great track and field athlete to where you're you're more focused on football? Is that something that was pretty easy for you to decide? Yeah, for the most part. I mean, I did like to do track a lot, but I've always loved football more. Um, football was my my first sport, my first love. So I mean, it wasn't necessarily the most difficult decision in the world. Um, but it's definitely something that, that I had to think about and really and take into account um, that I wouldn't be doing track um, as of right now. So, um, but that's something that, that I was able to do a decision that I made for myself, um, just kind of pursue these dreams that I have in football. Yeah. So one thing we were doing some background on you for our scouting reports and it came out that you blocked nine punts your senior year <laughs> of high school. Number one, is that true? Number two, how is that even possible? How many games did you guys play in a season? Um, I think it was nine field goals and punts combined. Okay. That makes yeah. That's still pretty so crazy. It, <laughs> yeah, I think it was like five and four, if I remember correctly. Um, but yeah, I mean it was something that I don't know if teams like just didn't really work on it as much, but it was it was like fairly easy for me to get into the backfield, whether it was on an extra point or field goal or punt, um, and and just block it. Like it didn't it wasn't even something that we worked on a lot, to be honest, but I don't know, it was just something like whenever we needed uh, a stop or something like that. I was able to get back there and just make the play. So, I mean, it was a cool thing to do though. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. That's that status unreal. When that pops up, you're like, what has this even happening? So you're just coming off the combine, um, which is, uh, I, we tell people every week when we do these interviews, the combine for people who have never been there, it's a circus and it's insane and y'all don't sleep and you're just running from one event to the next. So, what was the weirdest question that you got asked in those little 15 minute interviews that you do with teams? Thankfully, all of my questions were pretty football related, football or personal related. Like I didn't have any off the wall questions, um, which is, was actually surprising to me. Cause that's like what you hear about a lot as you prepare for it is, you know, they could ask you whatever they want. Um, just be ready for anything. Kind of, kind of like that. Um, so for the most part, I had all like reasonable questions, questions that you would expect to be asked um, before you walk into the room. So I didn't have any, any weird ones. What was the most stressful part of that whole process? Cause you're there for like three or four days and yeah. And you're just running around like crazy. Was it, 
I, do you feel like you just handled it pretty well? I mean, I know you, you had the finger injury, so there's things you, you weren't able to do, but right. what, how stressful is that? Um, it can get pretty stressful. I would say the first couple of days were probably the most stressful. Um, so like we all had a pretty good idea what to expect. Um, but I don't think we could really fathom what it was really going to be like until we did it. Um, so like you said, we were kind of up all night. So probably like the 12, 1230 at night. Um, and then we'd be back up at six, seven o'clock in the morning, almost every night. But I would say the most stressful day was probably the medical day. Um, so that's the day that I get to wake up for a drug test at like four o'clock in the morning. You have to go to the hospital and you're there for seven, eight hours, depending on how many MRI x-rays you have to do. Um, and so that one was the one that could like really kind of just throw you off the most, I would say, um, just because guys are really worried about, you know, performing the best they can when they get on the field. And I mean, we're all athletes. We all know what it takes to do that, you know, rest and eating properly and things like that. And they kind of put you in the situations where you're not going to be able to, to really do that. Um, cause you're at the hospital or you're in meetings all day and things like that. So it really just took a lot to be able to stay focused and, and stay locked in on what you're supposed to do. Yeah. So back to the back to the field. A couple more questions for you. Who was the toughest receiver that you faced? And you know, like just looking at some of the guys, I mean, you played Oklahoma State in the bowl game last year. I mean, obviously yep. USC, UCLA, Washington. There's a lot of really good receivers that you've had yeah. to, to be on the field with. Who's the one dude that you would say is the best? Overall, like over the my three years, I would say it was Juju Smith um, from USC, and then this past season, I would say it was Michael Gallup. Yeah, two really, really good guys. Juju went off this year, so that's a that's yeah. a good one. Uh, okay, last last question before we get into the fun ones. What NFL guys have you already looked at and been like, man, I can't wait to to match up against that guy? I mean, is it is it the Antonio Browns and you know OBJs, or is it more of like Larry Fitzgerald? You know, kind of the the, the guys that you maybe grew up idolizing a little bit. Um, the biggest one I would say is Julio Jones. Um, that's kind of a guy that I've watched the most of, um, in terms of like his film and things like that. And then obviously he's a guy that, I mean, everyone knows about him. I mean, he's been, if not the best, one of the best receivers in the NFL for the past, I mean, really ever since he came into the NFL. Um, so obviously he's, he's top tier. Um, and so I would, I would love for that challenge and, and to be able to play against him. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a monster. So that's that's a great yeah, yeah. and especially because you're a bigger guy, so you want to go right. against a bigger guy. And that's yeah, actually exactly. something I didn't have on here, but it's important for people to note. Like you are one of the few big corners in this year's class right. that actually moves well because Denzel Ward's a small guy. Mike mm-hmm. Hughes is not that big. Jay Alexander. Sure. So is yep. that something that you guys have tried to like point out to teams, or has that been brought up that like, hey, you actually have size to play outside and and can handle those big receivers. Most definitely, most definitely. And that's something that you can tell that a lot of teams are looking for more and more in corners um, to really go against those guys um, like Julio Jones, Mike Evans, um, Larry Fitzgerald. I mean, the list goes on and on on the, on the bigger receivers. And really, they're only getting bigger and bigger um, every year. So it's something that you can't coach, something that you just have or you don't have, um, which is size, um, length, and things like that. And then also being able to move with it um, creates a uh, for receivers to go against. Yeah. All right. Now the fun ones. We do this with every guest. Yeah. We run them through these five questions. It's called the gauntlet. They're kind of nonsense, but it's fun. Yeah. It lets people get to know you a little bit. So what's huh? your what's your go to pregame meal? Who I would say it's spaghetti. Um, that's kind of what I've come accustomed to these last few years. Um, at Colorado, that was something that we've always had. Um, so that's something that I've I've gotten pretty. 
Yeah, we hear that one uh, a lot, as I'm sure you yeah. expect. So we, got, we might have to change that one up. All right, second question. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? I would say probably uh, it's tough. I'm torn between two of them, um, either super speed or super strength, probably one of those two. Playing corner, it seems like speed would be better for you. But Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. to be able to throw things around like really far would be pretty cool, I think. That, that would be cool. Yeah, Like it, the Hulk. Yeah. Quarterbacks <laughs> get paid more, so you can make that switch too. Yeah, exactly. So, so. That's true. <laughs> All right. Well, it's the one game none of your friends can beat you at, whether it's like Madden or like horseshoes, pool, something, you know, video game or just like a backyard game. Um, Video game, it's definitely Madden. So what team do you play with? Because that's the important follow-up question. Um, it switches around, um, actually. But this past year, so on Madden 18, um, I was the Bills, Buffalo Bills a lot. Really? That's kind of yeah. out of left field, man. <laughs> I mean, having having Tyrod Taylor kind of like mobile quarterback and Madden, like it creates a tough situation for opponents to be able to beat you in. And they just have a lot of weapons on offense, and the defense is pretty solid. So it worked out in Madden really well. Yeah. Huh. No, I, that's not what I thought you were saying, like the Seahawks or, you know, uh-huh. the, nope, the Bills. All right. You're stranded on a deserted island, and you can have one person there with you. Who would it be? Who I would say my girlfriend. Okay, now that's cheating. So, that's but, cheating. Okay. yeah, that, that's not fair. That's the easy one. So, a lot of guys have said like Bear Grylls because they want to survive, or some have said like their, you know, their dad, or you know, yeah. some have said Rihanna. So it could go. You could, you, you could go from one extreme of let's survive and get off this island to let's just have fun while we're here. Jeez, I would say probably just just one of my friends. So one I can think of off the top of my head, his name is Jalen. Um, just a guy that has been like like a family friend for a long time. And I feel like if we were both stuck on an island together, it would actually turn into a pretty fun experience. And I feel like we're both smart enough to be able to get off eventually. Yeah, to build that raft and make it back yeah, to safety. Exactly. Like, yeah. like, all right, last question, man. And you have a girlfriend, you just said, so that yeah. you might have to be creative with this, but what would your online dating profile one-liner be? Oh, wow. That's tough. I've never had an online dating profile. <laughs> that's um, that's a good thing, say, right? I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. I feel like I would put it as like it'd be some type of joke. I don't know. I feel like that would be the easiest thing, just like something funny, like witty. Yeah. Um, but I can't think of something off the top of my head. It's a hard question with zero yeah, preparation, I know. Right, yeah. yeah, with zero. And then zero experience in that situation as well. I, I'll accept that as an answer. That's a good <laughs> answer. <laughs> yeah, you've never had to do it, so you don't know. That's a great answer. Right. All right, man. Well, thank you for your time. We definitely appreciate it. We're all rooting for you. Uh, it's been fun watching you these last two years, especially uh, seeing you develop at Colorado and now being a guy that we all think you're going to hear your name called the first night of the draft. So definitely appreciate yeah, thank it. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Once again, a big thank you to Isaiah Oliver, a player that Matt and I think is going to go in the first round. So it was great to have him on the show. Talk about you know his background, playing with guys like Shadobi and Akello Weatherspoon. It's it's going to be interesting for Oliver. I think he's. Uh, I think a lot of good things are ahead when you're that kind of athlete and you're built like that at the position that's valued like that. He might have a long career ahead of him. But as always, we got to answer your draft on draft questions. You guys have been awesome sending in a million of these. We're trying to get through as many as we can. Trying to get back on Instagram Live Friday, Monday show. Try to get more questions in. So why wait, Matt? Let's do it. This one, first one from Isaiah Garrett. How realistic is it that the Chargers draft Mason Rudolph? as Philip Rivers' successor in the first round? I don't think it's very realistic. I know that that is kind of like the late buzz is that Rudolph is getting pushed up, and we just talked about it in the opening segment. I think the Chargers would be high. I could see the Chargers taking Lamar Jackson 
as River's successor. Yes. I, I think Rudolph would be a little bit of a surprise for me. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I don't think Rudolph goes that high, and I'd be floored if he somehow does because that'd be a gigantic mistake. Okay, this next one from Phil Albanese. Uh, which mid-slash-late-round cornerback in this draft is the biggest sleeper, and do they have the potential to start in any cornerback role? Number one, number two, I guess he means out, the outside yeah. corners and or the slot. Oh, man, this corner class is, is really, really good. I think one of my favorite kind of sleeper guys is Levi Wallace from Alabama. Um, he is right. a little bit like of a kind of a long, lean guy, former walk-on, really good technician. Uh, and and I, I sit, would say he's more of a number two, maybe a nickel, because he is you know about a buck 85, buck 90, so he's not a super heavy guy. But I, I do like him as someone who maybe a fourth or fifth round pick. I don't have a final grade on him yet. I'll probably be doing that later this week. But he's someone who's, every time I watch the tape, I really like him. For a while, my answer to this question for so long was Nick Nelson out of Wisconsin. Yeah. And that it's not a sleeper anymore because it's just been the answer so many times. He got hurt, unfortunately, so it sounds like he might miss training camp or at least some of it. Yeah. So I would say Danny Johnson from Southern. He's another guy that he's just not really getting any love. Uh, Ultra productive at Southern. Very competitive player. Good athlete. And I think he'll easily not only get drafted, but I think he'll latch on and find a role somewhere. He'll be a good nickel. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Maybe a fifth corner is a rookie that develops over time into a starting nickel. So Danny Johnson from Southern would be my answer there. All right, here we go. Joshua Walker wants to know if you guys can move an NFL franchise to any city in the U.S., which franchise would you move to and where? Oh, man. I think San Antonio needs a team. I think it's bullshit that they that San Antonio doesn't have one. And that's a huge metro area. Uh, it, it, it's a football crazy state. It's a football crazy area. And there's not a major college in San Antonio. You know, like Austin has the Longhorns and, you know, Dallas has the Cowboys and TCU. And there's a lot of Oklahoma fans. San Antonio is this massive growing area with basketball. Like that's all they got. So it's kind of crazy to me. I don't know what team I would move because they've all moved so much now, but that's a harder that's a harder question. Of, yeah, it's of a what tough one. Team. I would just make but an it, expansion team. I was going to say, it's tough to really get a team to pick up and move when you look across, especially all the movement we've seen recently. Because even the small places that you would think of first are have really passionate fans, like Buffalo with the Bills. I mean, you'd never want to move the Bills. Like, even, you know, the Panthers fans have really... Uh, been alive and well in recent years. So when you yeah. look at moving a team, I, I got to go to San Antonio um, for the Army All-American Bowl for the first time this year. And I actually really, I really liked it. The Riverwalk was beautiful. There's a lot of life that in, in the city. Yeah. Uh, the people are like really, really prideful of the place. And those kind of places usually do so well with sports teams. So move I'm, the Chargers. Like, d- just stop. I, that's just that's stop exactly the stadium. who you Yes. <laughs> Well, the Rams ran away with with winning over L.A., a place that didn't need one football team and now has two. Uh, So I don't I just don't get it. I know the Chargers are in we're in a little bit of a rough period with that move. And I think they will bounce back this year because they have the talent. They just got to stay healthy. Yeah. But I I just didn't like the move. And the attendance is kind of showing that. All right, man. Thinking about having a draft party. This is from Mike Hubbard. Uh, one of our great listeners, he's thinking about having a draft party for the first time. What are five must-have items at the party? I mean, we go super generic here. You have to have beer. But do you go with a keg? So I think no. And like, we made a big deal about the fact when we bought a kegerator for the, the office here in Joplin. And 
it just doesn't get used enough. I think it's actually a waste of money, especially because we all drink so much different beer. So it's hard to like pick one beer that we're going to throw in the keg and everyone's going to drink it because, you know, like Mellow likes Natty Light. I like Boulevard Wheat. You know, everybody else likes different things. So it's like it's easier to just go buy, you know, 24 packs of what everyone wants. One thing we did want uh, for a Halloween party, I went to Home Depot and bought this like 90 gallon tub like with it's like a construction site tub it's black with this yellow lid and we put all our beer in it filled with ice and it it kept for actually like three days the ice did the beer didn't make it that long but and it was like 25 dollars. so i think that's the way you just throw that fucker in your kitchen and then when you're done you just dump the water in your backyard it's cheap you don't have to worry about carrying a keg getting it tapped returning everything not breaking the handle because you don't want to have to pay or they you don't want them keeping your deposit I think you just load up on a lot of different kinds of beer or just get just those 24 cases. Yeah, that's the way to do it. I'm looking back. So me and you never get to watch the draft anymore because we're we're working for it here. But it depends on the size, the amount of people you have. And going back to the last Super Bowl party I had, um, my buddy one time all summer was like doing the Chipotle awards thing, rewards thing, and he got enough to get free catering. So for the Super Bowl... Oh. We had Chipotle free catering, and it was the most amazing thing for a party ever because it was just unlimited amounts of literally everything. Did they make quesadillas? From from Chipotle. (laughs) God, (laughs) I guess you could throw it on the grill yourself. Um, Back to your point about the kegerator. It's funny you said that. When I moved to my new place in Hoboken, it was one of the things we were thinking of getting, and you nailed it. The investment didn't make any sense because, number one, you have people over, and a lot of people drink cocktails. From from a cocktail bar or girls, a lot of the girls drink wine. Some people don't want the beer that's in your kegerator. Yep. So you never actually go through it on time. So it ends up being a bad investment. And it in college, keep, it would have been a good but, one. But yeah, I we're having a party at the office Friday night and I'm going to go get like a little pony keg for it. And my goal will be that we go through it like in a week. And that's like there's four of us now. So it's like yep. it's not like there are 30 people coming over and we can tip a keg in a night. Like, you know, it's not college. So um, to finish the question, I I think, yeah, if you can get it catered, do it. Like we have a deli here that caters sometimes just getting like a sandwich tray and then like a snack tray. It's like 60 bucks and it's totally worth it. Um, I'm a, I'm a chip and dip person. Like I I just like, no doubt. Get me some French onion dip with some ruffles, you know, chips, salsa, chips, queso. I, I think that's the way to do it. Just try to go like for variety, not, Let's do steaks and, you know, $80 bourbon. Just get a bunch of Coors Light, get a bunch of Natty Light, and a bunch of, like, trash food, you know, like soft pretzels and stuff, and, and exactly. roll with it that way. And the the easy New York, New Jersey way that we always do is just order a bunch of pies every yeah. time. You get a couple pizza pies, whether it's the fantasy draft, whether it's the Super Bowl that doesn't have unlimited amounts of Chipotle. <laughs> pizza kind of makes everyone content, and I don't want to say sobers everyone up, but makes them, you know, somewhat respectable so all right that was a good question from mike this next one from patrick brown do you see the patriots moving up in the draft and if so who would they trade up for my simple answer is no they just can't i don't see them moving up in this draft for one of the top four quarterbacks yeah i'm with you i'm the same way i know everyone's like oh they gotta trade up they gotta trade up this roster is not as good as they make it look they need to retool they've been aggressive in free agency but they still have to address the front seven on defense. They could still add another corner. They do need a, a QB two, but they have two picks around one, two picks around two. So 
they can be strategic about getting that done and and adding last year the 2017 draft they picked four players they can add that many starters this year with those four picks they have in the first two rounds so I say you just sit tight and and try to better that roster yeah I mean look at the the holes they have on it right now like you just said I mean I like the mock draft we did for them on Monday, actually, specifically. I think you yep. gave them Mike McGlinchey with mm-hmm. that first. for Yeah, and then I gave him Cortland Sutton. So the Patriots could solve a lot of needs if they stay put. And Tom Brady certainly doesn't look like he's slowing down anytime soon. So I don't think you have to hit the panic button and trade everything for a quarterback just yet. Uh, this next one from Alex Hayes. What is the biggest flaw of Allen, Rosen, Mayfield, and Darnold? Oh, man, that's a two-hour show. Um, right? <laughs> We've done a, Well, I did the, the Rosen flaw earlier. It, you know what I mean? I did the long rant on the personality and fit in locker room concerns or maturity yeah. is very, very legit. Everything on the field is almost flawless. So, like, short answers. The biggest flaw of Allen, it obviously, is accuracy and the mechanics that lead to inaccuracy. With Rosen, my biggest concern is durability. He's been hurt every year at UCLA, and I know he's a tough son of a gun and he'll stand in the pocket and take hits, but he gets hurt a lot with Baker. I I do. I I know everyone's going to say it's personality. I actually think it's scheme with Baker, how much space he had to operate in that Oklahoma offense concerns me a little bit because it's not going to be that way in the pros. And he is shorter with Darnold. I I think it's just the turnovers, you know, especially middle of the field turnovers. And I, I know USC receivers dropped a ton of balls, there were other times like they tipped passes in the air and guys made these great plays on them. But it, I think like Darnold, it, you know, Tony Romo might be the best ever comparison for him. And there might, he might go through stretches where he does turn the ball over a lot, but he's also going to go through stretches where he's just so poised and is great in the clutch and can put the team on his back and win games late. But I, I've said before, I have them all four clo- very closely graded because they all have a weakness that terrifies me even though they all also have a strength that I really, really like. Well said. I thought, I mean, I'm, I'm with you on all that. I think Allen, I really like that you tied. We always go, oh, he's inaccurate. But it really starts with his base and how out of whack he can get when the pressure's on. And playing on a bad team does that to a lot of guys. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to make excuses for this guy because he just clearly didn't have it. But the last two years in college for Christian Hackenberg, when that base fell apart from being under pressure, I mean, he was tr- significantly a even worse player. So it's... It's a great point to make. So, all right. This one from William Cox <laughs> at your favorite Cox. Oh, my God. That's great. <laughs> William, that is the best <laughs> handle I have seen in quite some time. Well done. All right. <laughs> Who are some players you like but also believe can only succeed in a certain team's system? I mean, Roquan Smith. I think is is a scheme specific guy because he has to have someone up front eating blocks or he's going to get destroyed. Uh, Brian O'Neill, the offensive tackle from Pitt, I think is a zone scheme only kind of guy because he's just he's light. He's not going to be able to just go body for body and power guys out of the especially in the run game. So those would be two players that I really like. Um, I mean, Roquan's in my top ten, and I have Brian O'Neill in the second round, but they are pretty scheme specific. So uh, yeah, I think um, Ronald Jones for me is an oh, outside yeah, zone kind of. He's just an outside zone kind of guy. Now he could be a top five running back as an outside zone kind of guy. He's that good at it, but I just don't really see why you would you would you know bang him right between the tackles right there. Like it's just I yeah. don't. Here's that one that a guy we both like, Josh Jackson. And I think he's oh, a little yes. scheme specific. You know, he's like a cover two type guy. 
Oh, yeah, he plays all, he's way better off. I mean, you're not going to, it's weird. Bigger corners, you think, oh, press, 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 but that's not him. Yeah. So, yeah, cornerback, we could do that for days. I mean, MJ Stewart's the opposite of Josh Jackson. He's a guy that plays up in your face, punches you in the mouth, but do you want him to open his hips, turn and run down the field? Same with Carlton Davis. You'd prefer them not to do that. Yeah. So, so me and you can go on for days about that kind of <laughs> one, but that's a, that's a great question from at your favorite Cox. It's a great handle. All right. Our buddy Gershman wants to know, this is a tough question. Can you guys define what a generational talent is? Because there seems to be at least one a year. That's actually something that like Mello will give me a ton of shit about because I, I have fallen into that trap before. And I, I, I don't know that when we talk about Saquon Barkley as a generational talent, I mean, you just compared him to LaDainian Tomlinson number for number, right? Yes. I I think that does make him a generational talent. What people on the outside looking in maybe don't realize is that we are doing this in the moment, like year to year. So when Ezekiel Elliott came out and to see a running back of that size move as well as he did, be able to catch the ball as well as he did, to be able to operate inside, outside as a runner, that seemed generational, right? We didn't know that next, the year after that, that we were going to have Leonard Fournette and Christian McCaffrey. And we didn't know the year after that we were going to have Saquon Barkley. And like you obviously know who those guys are, or I, like, I'm already aware of guys for next year, but I haven't sat down and really studied them. And, you know, there's also that time frame of a year where shit can fall apart and guys don't live up to the hype. But I do think that we have to remember that draft evaluation is very in the moment. You're looking at that player in a bubble and saying that dude's rare. Like Saquon Barkley is incredibly rare. Miles Garrett was incredibly rare. Like, and, and trying to process it that way, instead of looking at on the last five years, you guys said three people were generational talent. So maybe it's a term that we shouldn't use anymore. Maybe, but I, I do believe in the moment it applies. I think Saquon Barkley is the best running back prospect I've ever seen. And if I could put that tag on him instead of Zeke, I would do it. But, you know, we can't go back three years and say, oh, wait, never mind. There's this other dude who's, you know, like a, a senior in high school right now, and he looks really good. Yeah, I think that's the perfect way of putting it. Like, for me, I've I've been writing up players since about 2013 or 2014. I always mix it up. And um, I've never seen a guard prospect like Quentin Nelson. When I did my pro player comparisons for at least the top 15, I didn't have one for him. And I had to be truthfully honest in the write-up because I said, listen, I have never seen a guard like this in my in my time of doing this. So there's nothing, you know what I mean? That's what makes yeah. it like, wow, this guy is a generational. And like you said, it's a caught in the moment thing. And people forget the term generational prospect is very different from the term of NFL superstar. The scary thing when you evaluate a guy like Leonard Fournette or Saquon Barkley and you come out with a higher grade than him than Ezekiel Elliott is if those guys don't post more rushing yards than Ezekiel Elliott, no matter where they play, somebody will come back to you and say you were wrong for this. Meanwhile, scheme, fit, talent around them matters so much for the running back position that that's not fair. So, listen, that Cowboys line when Zeke was a rookie was as good as we've seen in football in the last decade. Now, was Ezekiel Elliott great in his own right? Of course. But you have to weigh all those things. So generational prospect is... What is the guy offering uh, in terms of how he's coming out into the draft, his ceiling, upside, all of that? So that was a really good question. Jero always sends really good questions, but that one, a multi-layered question. Yeah. All right. This next one from Greg Harrison. Who do you like better for the Raiders, Vita Vea or Roquan Smith? And if not either of them, who do you like as the 10th pick? 
I really like Denzel Ward there. Um, if if we're going neither, I, I still think they need another corner, and he gives you so much versatility because he could play inside or outside. It would match up really well with what they had in, in Gary and Connolly, last year's first rounder. But if I'm picking between Vita Vea and Roquan Smith, I would take Roquan Smith because I mean, we've said it every time we talk about the Raiders. They're so bad in the middle of the field in terms of pass coverage. You're getting destroyed by tight ends. You're getting destroyed by slot receivers. And Roquan's probably not going to man up with a lot of slot receivers, but he's at least going to be that force in the middle of the field, like a young Navarro Bowman, where he just has that range to shut down the middle, especially in zone coverage. So I, that's who I would go with. And I think you could get you know, a quality D tackle like Harrison Phillips in the second round if that's an area where, you know, because of, you know, Justin Ellis is is just okay. Eddie Vanderdoos is is young guy, a young guy and more of a pass rusher. So if you want a, a nose in round two, you could get a horrible Harry and and now you've filled <laughs> your two biggest needs. I and the corners drop off is big. So I would much rather have Denzel Ward in round one and Harrison in two or Roquan in one, Harrison in two, as opposed to Vitavea in one. And then you're looking at like Malik Jefferson around two at linebacker, maybe, or uh, Carlton Davis at corner, like both good players, but I would rather package it the other way. And also for them, if one of Derwin James or Minka Fitzpatrick falls to 10, that's who I would take because listen, I, I know I beat it into the ground. I just didn't like Obi Melfonwu that much. I know you agreed completely with that. And yep. that was not a John Gruden guy that we know of. So Derwin James and Minka Fitzpatrick to me are top 10 players in this draft. And if they fall to the 10th pick, go get them because they could do so many different things for your defense next year. Yeah, great call. Uh, look, we got one more. All right. Uh, From a mystery mystery person. person. I know that's why I was like, I didn't see a name, so I forgot we had one more question. Haven't heard much on Jack CG. What are scouts saying about his ACL tear and how will it affect his stock? Um, I can tell you that we are in the process of finalizing our linebacker grades, and I gave him like a round five, six grade just because, I mean, I, I like this film a lot, but the injury is something that you have to be aware of. And if you go back to like 2015 and 2016, when he was healthy, he was so good and versatile. I mean, he could rush the quarterback. He was showing him a coverage. Um, but it's just the fact that if you get, you got that injury that, that is a pretty big concern. I, I like him though, as kind of a, a late round guy that could eventually be a starter. I mean, he was a walk on everything I've heard is that he's just a great leader. Everyone loves him. Um, he was fantastic on special teams, but he's, I think he's only played like, I think he has 11 starts and I'm going off memory because I don't have my notes up in front of him. But when you've been in college for four years and you've made 11 starts because of injury, that's a pretty big concern. Yeah, there's no doubt about that in terms of where he's at right now. And this doesn't say anything, you know, for his long-term health, but his pro day impressed me. I mean, when you look at a six, eight, eight, three cone, you know, the vertical was around 34 inches, 34 inches. He's, he's an athletic player coming back from that injury. You know, he said he was about at a 90 percent uh, health rate, at you know, at his pro day. So he's not even fully back. He didn't do the 40 yard dash, but I like him a lot. I think he's a guy that I would be willing to take in the fifth round and, you know, hope you get a lot out of him on special teams and as a reserve linebacker and maybe sub packages. But those that kind of injury history, unless you're John Ross, apparently always shoots players down the board. Yep, without a doubt. All right, great questions today. Appreciate you guys sending those in, and thanks again. I mean, like we said at the top of the show, uh, it's been a year since we announced that this podcast was going to be happening. 
Um, about 51 weeks ago, we put out our first episode. So the the support that you guys have shown us, uh, not just as a podcast, but as people, has been amazing. You know, there have been so many things we've done with, uh, I don't know if you remember, Connor, like early on, uh, there's the little girl in Mississippi, uh, uh, Kyla, was that her name? Where it was like, yes. it, it, you know, just trying to raise money to help with medical expenses. Uh, the support you guys have shown with, you know, with Dan passing away and then with trying to raise money for his kids, it's been phenomenal. You know, over Christmas time, I do the, the charity drive to, to buy coats and, and presents for kids. Y'all were amazing with that. So we do like think of the stick to football family as friends. And it's something that, that Mello and I were actually talking about the other day of like, we have this amazing group of people, our listeners that we do like just consider friends. I mean, we'll be sitting at a bar having a beer and we'll be talking about you guys like we've known you our whole lives. So it it really it, it means a lot to me. This is a project that I wanted to do for years and to see it happen and then for you guys to get behind it to make it such a success has been uh, it's helped because it makes it look like we actually know what we're doing a little bit when in reality this is three guys who've never done this before and they just said okay go do it and and it's it's gone very very well and that's because of, of everyone so I know I'm grateful Connor any any last thoughts on our amazing I mean, people. I'd- no, you could like you couldn't have said it better. I, I'm just so grateful. I was explaining to somebody way higher up the the corporate scale than me within the the Turner and Bleacher Report branch that I was like, listen, I'm so impressed with how loyal the listeners are. Like the questions come in each week, and I recognize all you guys on Twitter because it's it, you know it's a lot of the same people that are so passionate about the show. The iTunes reviews when you guys leave questions or your thoughts. It's unreal when we have the live events in the, at the Combine and the Senior Bowl, the, the turnout we've had, whether it's after an Instagram Live and you guys you guys message me on my personal Instagram saying, hey, you know, you missed my question. Do you mind answering it? Thank you so much. It, it's unbelievable. And the charities, it's been so fun to watch this show grow because while that's amazing, I can't wait to see w- what we're talking about a year from now when we do this all over again for the two-year anniversary. I bet we're talking about Justin Herbert from Oregon when we're doing this in a year. That sounds about right. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. So for Matt, for Connor, uh, thank you guys for hanging out with us. Uh, If you miss us, we'll have another show that comes out Friday morning. And if you miss us after that, we'll have another show that comes out Monday morning. Monday. It goes on and on. And the draft is in two weeks. I got to I got to somehow lose 30 pounds in two weeks. That's going to be fun Um, (laughs) because it's been a hard draft season. It's been a hard year. So uh, thank you guys for hanging out with us. Uh, Make sure you hop on Apple Podcasts and subscribe. We'll talk to you real soon.